Welcome to the Working Tools Masonic Podcast, where today we will be discussing overcoming the blunder of leadership without competence. Ladies and gentlemen, brethren all, welcome to the Working Tools Podcast, a casual conversation around Freemasonry. First, it's important to note that our thoughts and opinions are our own and do not reflect those of our Grand Lodge or respective craft or concordant bodies. Please connect with us and ask questions via our website at theworkingtoolspodcast.com. Today on the Working Tools Masonic Podcast, we'll be discussing overcoming leadership without competence as one of the seven blunders of Masonry series. Uh, we have with us our, our usual crew for the last few days of uh, Right Worshipful Brother Trevor McCune, who's the Grand Historian of the Grand Lodge of British in Columbia and the Yukon. Uh, Worshipful Brother Stephen Chung from up in Colonia, Kelowna, BC, excuse me. Uh, and Very Worshipful <laughs> Brother Stephen Colbeth, uh, Mason down here in the Grand Lodge of Washington, along with myself, Matthew Apple, and our, our recurring special guest, most worshipful brother Jim Mendoza, who's the past grandmaster of the Grand Lodge of Washington. Um, thanks yet again, Jim, for coming out and and uh, leading this series for us on the overcoming the seven blunders. Um, so we we discussed uh, just as we were coming in here that we weren't going to we were, no one's going to say any names, so no one point any fingers at me. It's not allowed. Um, and the uh, as deputy, you were responsible for everything, Matt. I, I took credit for everything. Yes, I, <laughs> that's sorry. Everything that happened in my district was me. <laughs> um, all the good things. Sorry, all the good things. And and that's okay. Stephen Colbert there, he'll just cut out those other sections. <laughs> <laughs> it's all me. Um, so I think I think it's safe to say we've all seen leaders in in I mean not just this organization. I, uh, a couple of us have been in the military, and I'm sure have uh, have seen some uh, questionable leaders there as well. Uh, leaders that are not always suited for where they are. I'm trying to remember, I looked it up and I can't remember what it was now. Is it the Pauli principle where you, you rise to the level of your incompetence? Yeah. yeah. They, uh, they, so yeah, you're good at, you're, you're a good, good doing A and so they promote you to B and you're good doing B so they promote you to C and really you're not so good at C but they can't put you back at B again. And yeah, so it's. Teachers who become principals. Exactly. No names. <laughs> Um, so on that note, um, I guess we've all, and I'm sure all the people listening to this have encountered this problem. What can we do to overcome the problem is kind of where I'd like to make sure we hit rather than just trucking out all our stories of, of, uh, incompetence out there. Uh, Jim, do you have any, any special thoughts on, uh, on this problem? Well, you know, it's, it, this is a, this is a difficult topic because lodges, it puts lodges. It can put it can put lodges in an uncomfortable position, um, you know, and 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 you know, it can have an immediate impact. It could have a, a it could have an impact that can last maybe a term or can last an extended period of time. But I think you know, with any whenever you're dealing with any organization, uh, what makes Freemason unique is that guess what? You elect somebody master. He's effectively CEO of of the lodge. All right. Think about it, you know, you know, if I manage a store, as an example, you know, I've got an HR department to handle to handle HR. I've got, you know, I've, I've, I've got a merchandising manager to handle merchandising. You know, I just need to make sure I move the chess pieces in the proper place. With Warshall Master, in many cases, everything's thrown on you. And, okay, 
that's a, that's a lot of responsibility, especially if somebody doesn't know how to delegate. So what do you do? I mean, how do you, how do you, how do you fix that? Well, you don't fix it when he's master. You don't fix it when he's senior warden. You don't fix it when he's junior warden. You fix it, you fix it, if you will, or you dress it as that person is working his way through the chairs on the floor. Right. Yeah. We call them mentors. Mm -hmm. But, 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 but that's, but that's where you, that's where you address it. And, 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 and a lot of times when people hear that, they say, does that mean I'm correcting him left and right? No, that doesn't mean you're collecting, correcting him left and right. That means basically you're saying, okay, let's talk about what your responsibilities are with this office, or let's talk about what your responsibilities are with, with our, this event. You never want to leave somebody hanging out on their own. You always want to team them up with somebody if you can. Now, I understand that some lodges don't have that infrastructure, but there's ways around that as well. I love the story of Daylight 232. God, it was like 20 years ago, maybe maybe, maybe 15. Um, this was a lodge that was basically advancing guys, you know, as it were. And guess what? They were advancing the guys and they just weren't getting it or they would get it toward the end. And then they'd move on to whatever the next gig was. Well, as fate would have it, all of a sudden they got this influx of younger members. Now, what is the, what is the default? Oh, we got these young members. We're going to slot them into office. It'll be great. Okay. That's, that's the, the number one. Don't do that. Okay. That's the number one thing. Don't do that. The worst thing you can do to a Mason is to say, congratulations, well, you've just been raised a Master Mason. By the way, you're senior deacon. You want to run someone away from the, you want to, you want to scare someone off? Do that. Okay. So what, here's what Daylight Lodge did. They had three, they had three dedicated past masters, actually four. And these four decided to do this. I'll sit in secretary and the and and the other three decided we're going to sit in the we're going to sit in the principal officer seat, seats, and do two year terms. And we're going to train each mason. We're going to train these young men. We're going to show them what it means to be mason. We're going to get them proficient. We're going to get them proud in doing degree work. We're going to show them how to run our key events. But we're not, but we're going to, it's going to be two years at a time that we advance. And they did this for 10 years. And then the decision came, you know, we're good. We can go one year at a time now. But this was a lodge that made the decision, let us stop here, reimagine what this lodge could look like, set a leadership plan in motion, and then get these brethren moving well. And if you look at the history of Daylight Lodge, some very, some, they've had some great people come out of that lodge in leadership positions in our Grand Lodge. And it's great because of the fact they took that time to understand that, okay, we just can't force people through. Verity Lodge, a lodge in which I hold dual membership in, uh, was struggling. And they brought in somebody to be worship master. And I remember the worship master coming to the, that worship master designate coming to me and said, this will be the fourth time I've been worship master, different lodges, obviously, but this will be the fourth time I've been worship master. I have any ideas. What do I do? I said, you know, I say, we talked about the brother. What do you think about the brethren? I goes, I think there's some good brethren here. They could just use some training. Son, let's train them then. 
what do you think they need to know how to do? And so he laid out some things that he thought various lodge leaders needed to know how to do. And so I think two, three months into his term, he started saying, okay, brethren, I'm not going to open lodge anymore. You're going to open lodge. I'll run the meeting. Then you're going to close lodge. And he kind of put it on them to do that. He didn't ask for volunteers. He just said, you're doing that. Laid the expectation down. And that's one. And that's another thing. You've got to lay expectations down. You just can't say, here's your job. You have to tell them what you expect from them when you give them that job. What is the end result that you want to see? But don't just leave them in the wind. You got to say, okay, I'll help you along the, I'll, I'll help you. Like in, in this case, the master said, you need to open, but I'll run the meeting. Okay. So all he had to focus on was understanding the ritual, understanding when did you be said, saying it right. And yeah, every, every, every member of that lodge knew how to open and close lodge as a result. Well, guess what? He served another year. And in the second year, what he did is he told, he, he, he told the brethren, okay, you're not only going to open and close, but you're going to run the meeting. I'm going to sit here. I'll be here to guide you through what needs to be done. Now, obviously, before the meetings, you know, you would you'd have officers meetings, talk about the agenda, talk about what needed to be discussed, lay it all out. Okay, that goes back to Stevens' term, mentorship. All right. How do you, you know, you know, again, you don't leave brethren lay, you don't leave brethren out there in the wind thinking they do that. Maybe they get a modicum of success, right? But really, they didn't hit it at all. Like you said, you know, A to B to C. Maybe they're great at B, but they didn't quite get C right. Well, the difference right. here is we can kind of hold them back a little bit and say, hey, look, let's make sure you understand what needed to be done. And so that way we can do this right. So we kind of we kind of did a lot of what you were saying, but with a bit of a different twist. Because we ended up, we ended up in, a, in a situation where cancer killed 10 of our uh, members in five years. It was, it was just devastating to our, our officers line. And it was, well, how do we um, maintain the level of quality ritual level of, of standards that we had in our lodge? Part of what we did was mentorship, but we had so few guys that it became a lot of work for the one or two that ended up doing the majority of the work. And so, of course, that didn't work because you get burnout and then people quit. So um, one of the things that, that we instituted was the Lodge Officer's Handbook that each officer uh, had was given a binder. And it's the living document that they hand down to their successor so that their successor is somewhat prepared. Uh, and in, in conjunction with that, we uh, put in a Lodge Officer uh, coach, right? And... Uh, the job of the lodge officer's coach is to sit down with them uh, as once they've become uh, or, or been uh, accepted the, the role and um, prepare them for their year to come and go through the book with them. And his, of, of course, the lodge officer's guy, uh, uh, coach, he has to do that with every officer. Right. And so the, um, <clears throat> That, that is still a big job, and it's, but it, it's probably one of the most important jobs in our lodge uh, to keep things consistent 
actually moving forward um, to a and, and hold things to a standard. Um, and you know, it's it's uh, that's what makes me sad to hear worshipful masters that say that they can't wait to to be done, and and they're they're so looking forward to that installation. It's like, man, that's the wrong attitude, you know, because those guys disappear uh, in their year as as immediate past master. Whereas, uh, you know, the guys that uh, have the opposite opinions and they're, they're so um, disappointed that the year's coming to an end that um, those guys end up becoming great coaches to, the, to their successors um, in, in that role as immediate past master. And um, I think that uh, um, the more... The more lodges out there putting out the effort uh they'll see that come back to them tenfold you know you talk about those books out there one of the, one of the things i love is when the book comes back with notes you know when, yeah. when that person is when that person was passing down you know little their little tidbits you know yep. you know you know if you're going to pass the book down pass it down tattered and what i mean is that that shows that you obviously that you actually read it or, 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 or that you put notes in it, you know, because that can, because, because one of the things that I think we can, all, you, you, you talk about a living document. A lot of times, the, the, a lot of times those living documents are very static because it's obvious that the book's never been read. It's never been opened. You know, the, the, there's the story of, uh, of, of, uh, of, uh, of, of, of coaches who will put a $20 bill in the back of a playbook just to see if the guy is reading the playbook, right? And it's, it's amazing how often that playbook gets turned back in and the 20 bucks is still in there. Yeah, I, I could tell you my coach would not, have allowed, would not have allowed that at all. But, you know, there, there, there's, there, there's that sort of thing. But, you know, finding competent leaders can start as early as when they're initiated. I, I remember... And and I know some lodges use the chamber use a chamber of reflection. So guess what? This may not work for them, and that's okay. There's an there's an I got another tool for you. But I know my lodge doesn't use a chamber of reflection. And so what happened was when I was sitting there waiting, a man who I would come to know as Bill Miller was the Tyler, and he was engaging me in conversation the whole time while I was waiting to take my degrees. He was able to find out a little bit about me. And he would communicate that to the worshipful master. This guy has this skill. Find out about that. Now, for those lodges that 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 do a chamber of reflection, or for that matter, um, in, in, even if they don't, in the course of an investigation, you're going to find out what that man does for a living. You're going to find out what that man's skill is. I believe in something called strength finders. In other words, tap into a man's strength and you push that button and now you've got engagement and you get to see what he's made of and you get to see him bring his skills to the table and you get to watch him develop leadership. Whereas if, whereas if you just ignore what this person does, what, then, what, then what have you done? You know, this is somebody who's willing to help you out if you're li- if you'll let him help you out. Um, 
but if you but if you completely ignore that like say maybe they're maybe maybe you maybe they're a genius at investing okay or maybe they're you you, you notice in the court you notice when they were, when they returned the postal lecture oh my goodness they really know their work perhaps we should put them we should challenge them to learn to learn one of them one of the major parts or this person, like, you know, there's, there's a brother down in Southwest Washington. This person spent his entire life in, 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 in the flooring business. And he's offered to restore the floors. You know, the, you know, everyone brings to the table something special. And how often do we ignore that, that special talent? Because... Because here's the other thing. Here's the other thing that that can create leadership without competence. If we hold on to something, right? If we say no, this is my project. You can't have it. It's mine. Then you move away, or you die, or whatever the case may be. But it's your project. You held it so close to the vest. Now nobody knows what to do because you kept it. You know, you know, you can create, for lack of a better term, you can create incompetence in your lodge by holding all the competence to yourself. No man should make himself the most invaluable member of the lodge. Okay. You should share what you know with other people to build the competence within the lodge so that way they come forward. My greatest joy is when somebody said, my greatest joy, I talked about Dan Boren earlier. My greatest joy was that I was able to inspire somebody else to learn work. So, so guess what? I can sit on the sidelines if that's what I want to do. And it's great to be able to sit on the sidelines and watch the person that you inspire do that. That person develop a level of competence. You know, whether or not I think I can do it better, is irrelevant. The fact is this person has stepped to the table and that's just one example. So we need to, so part of it is, you know, part of us, yes, we need to train them up, but we also need to be willing to let go. Okay. Yeah. And I, I think part of it too, is listening, listening to your brothers and listening to the other guys that are out there. I can, I can think of off the top of my head, at least two guys in, in our lodge who, uh, if you ask me what a, a great mason is, immediately spring to mind. And neither of them have ever been master of the lodge. And if you were to ask them about it, they would say, oh, no, you know, and yeah, it's not my thing. And that's fine. There's There are some lodges, and, and I won't say ours is not necessarily one of them, but there are lodges out there that the, um, the culture sort of is, if you're not a past master, you know, that's their goal. Everyone, every mason wants to be a master, worshipful master, and every... Mason, you know, if you have, if that's not your goal, then what are you doing here? Kind of thing. And, and that's, you know, that's okay. It's okay. If you want to be the guy who cooks every meal and comes out and supports the other guys or sits on the sidelines at every single freaking meeting, go for it. You don't have to be master. You don't, that, that culture of, I don't know, what is it? Elitism. It's not elitism. It's somethingism that can really drive you to putting people in chairs that don't want to and, or shouldn't be there. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it, 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 tapping in, you know, there's a reason why people 
join. And if you tap into that, if you tap into that, oh my goodness, you unleash. So you unleash some amazing stuff when, 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 when you, when you, when you, when you tap into what they bring to the table, whether or not they advance through the chairs or not. But if you're, but if you're going to guide, but, but if you're going to identify someone and guide them to be the master of the lodge, then don't just say you'll be a good master, train them up. And I think that's where the true leadership is, is being able to identify those skills. And as you said, help them help themselves identify it too, and then get out of their way, the motivation and setting expectations. And I, and I think ultimately that may be some of what we're missing in Masons because we're men from all different cultures, from all different aspects, from all different employment backgrounds and education backgrounds and in rearing backgrounds. And so a guy may come in like a Bill Miller, talk about a leader and, and, and an educated man and a, a manager of, you know, in his profession. So he had that training. I don't know. I'm not sure about his youth, but he certainly had his, the training as he was growing up and becoming a professional. And so he knew he needed to draw that out and to identify the skills. And so I think that is a piece that masonry is missing. I, I've recently said, why is it that, that uh, Harvard or, you know, some, if you think of a, an amazing business school, why isn't it that this business school isn't coming to masonry and saying, how are you making these amazing leaders and amazing minds? How are you doing that? Why aren't they coming to us? And, and I understand why, but then why aren't we going to those amazing educational institutions and saying, what are you teaching your leaders today? And what can we steal from you, <laughs> essentially borrow from you and implement? I think every Mason should go through a true leadership course now, some may be able to progress faster. Maybe you can test out of it, if you will, if you've been uh, a CEO or a director or some, you know, if you've been in some kind of leadership role, it doesn't have to be, you could just be in charge of the ditch diggers. I mean, you could be a leader at your level, wherever that is. And once you've, once you've, there, there, you can always learn. One of my managers said, you need to expand your quiver, David. You need to add more arrows to your quiver. And so I've always used that. Everything I can learn, I add another arrow to my quiver that I can draw out when I need it. I don't always need every one of them, but when I need them, I have them available to me. And so I think that's a key thing that we could help men in masonry is to find leadership courses always be searching. And I think that is a core element of who we are as Masons, or at least the fraternity, the craft of Masonry is that seeking of light and, and information and knowledge. And so that should be an inherent element. They should want to learn and be developed. And it doesn't mean that they have to be in charge. They can be like, but they could be in charge of the meals. They could be in charge of the education. They could be in charge of the charity. They could be in charge of whatever portion of the lodge that they want to be in charge of. And, uh, they don't have to be master. They don't have to be an officer. We often, we often relate leadership to the officers or leadership to excellent ritual. And those are important, but having all of the areas that while we don't want to talk about it, we don't want to think about it. Masonry is a business of sorts. They're, they're you know, unless you're just meeting at a restaurant once a month and just hanging out and having a conversation like we are here. Uh, but most lodges have a, a bit of organization to them. So there has to be leaders in each of those areas. And Matt, you, um, uh, your district has, has had a, a, for a long time has had, and what has had an ed team to kind of help develop people. Right. Yeah. Uh, that, <laughs> that was one of the great parts of being a, 
being deputy was I got to take credit for everything they did too. The uh, the you know, the district two has a they call it an ed team, an education team that we ran or still do run a um, a leadership training session for the leaders of the lodges who any anyone's invited to come it's i forget what it is 20 bucks or 30 bucks or something to come for the weekend and we go out we go out to the, the masonic campground out here where there's no internet connection so people aren't staring at their phones the whole time and we we actually do a a, a leadership training session kind of like grand lodge does only on a sort of more intimate scale and uh i actually we, we hauled david out there one year even just to the the because he didn't have enough to do apparently. So it was a, but it's, it's a great opportunity to converse with people. And I've seen, I've, I'm thankful to say I have seen out of some of those sessions come, you know, maybe, maybe we shouldn't have put him in as junior deacon because, you know, he's, you know, I don't know that I can see him doing this in three years or five years or whatever it is. The it's, it's good to have those opportunities for these new guys who are coming in, who are climbing that ladder and want to climb that ladder to look to some of uh, I'll say this, some of us old guys and say, Hey, you know, what, what do you think of this or what? And we can ask them, well, what will you do in this situation? And we can have some back and forth there to, uh, to try to instill in them some of these principles that, that have worked for us and some things work great and some things don't. And you tell them, you know? Yeah. And I think that uh, some, some of the biggest mistakes a large, can make is is when they're a small lodge and they bring in a new member and they try to get them in to being a, a steward right away get in the lodge officers line right away and that's because they haven't got enough membership um and, and they're struggling to fill those those uh lower chairs and it's a sad it's a sad state because they need they, they still need officers but sometimes they're bringing them in too soon. And, uh, you know, not everybody's meant to be a worshipful master. Not everybody has that talent. And, you know, I, I'd really like to see the day where all lodges have it back where people are, are uh, uh, campaigning and, and whatnot for the lodge officer's line position at Stewart, right? And uh, where you have uh, uh, several guys saying, hey, I'd like to do that. I'd like to do that. That's that's where it'd be nice to get to again. You, you, Stephen, you you call it the officer line, and I think that may be part of the problem right there, where we talk constantly in our ritual about merit, yet far too many of our members talk about seniority, and you're expected to go in at a junior office and progress through, regardless of, as we said earlier, the principal, uh, the Peter principal, uh, but it uh, just because someone is a good junior warden if he's happy to keep doing that and has no interest in worshipable master, he shouldn't be pushed to it. Uh, and he should also not have an expectation that just because he's done that, he will automatically be progressed. Uh, and I've seen that in Lodge where brothers, where the Lodge actually has tried to tell someone, well, you know, you're doing a great job as senior deacon or whatever, but we don't see you as being master. And he's quit. So we haven't been able to educate our members that we are not, uh, that we are theoretically a meritocracy. Funny you should say that. That's how I got to be master the second time. I was master the first time, and then there was a year, and the guy who was my junior warden was pulled aside and said, you know, I, I just don't think you're doing a great job here. 
a group of past masters, I guess, uh, got to him and, and sort of said stuff like that, you know, and I don't know, honestly. Well, that's the other problem is that group of past masters. Yes. And I, I don't know. I honestly do not know. They said they offered, but I don't know how much help they offered and or gave him. But they'd spoken with him about it. And after they spoke to him, they spoke to me and said, hey, you want to be master again next year? And no, not really. <laughs> but that's the way the cookie crumbles, I guess. That's why I think from the very beginning, if we set the expectations, I, I said when I became a Mason, I just assumed that on Saturday mornings, I would have to attend some education course, some class, some system of making me a Mason, whether that involved leadership, whether that involved ritual. I mean, I didn't know what to expect. I had no idea that it was all going to be a ritual. There was learning lines and that kind of thing. But if there is expectation, if a lodge can develop that expectation of what is a leader. So every Mason needs to go through this series of classes or this education program. And at the end, then they are probably self-determined that yeah, I'm, I'm a good cook and I can handle the refreshments, but I, I can't do that budget stuff. And I can't do that delegation stuff. And I can't do those things that a leader really needs to be able to, to do. You know, one of the, you know, and, you know, I, I look at like at the same point though, that individual also, if they think that they want to be a leader of a lodge, things like that. Part of that also needs to be them, them seeking that as seeking, seeking out, Hey, you know, what does it take to be master of this lodge? Uh, you know, on a bigger scale, when I was appointed deputy of the grand master, one of the first things I did was call up every living deputy in my district and say, Hey, um, can I buy you lunch? I'd like to talk. I want to find out about the job. And each one of them gave me insights. And I'd like to think that because of the insights they gave me, I was effective at the job. Same thing happened when I was elected junior grand warden. I made it a point to contact every, you know, every past grandmaster, both within and without Washington, that I knew to say, hey, can I get one piece of advice from you? And again, you incorporate, you incorporate, you you you, you incorporate you incorporate those things. You know, I talked about one one thing that you know that I think we can do to help kind of show people what it really means to be a, what it means to be a leader in a lodge, whether it be master or whether it be the head of the scholarship committee or the head of the charity committee, is talk about the people who've been there before. You know. I, mean, I mentioned the fact about, you know, we have a lot of our lodges have walls of past masters, right? Lovely pictures on the wall. Some of them color, some of them black and white, you know, that sort of thing. And I would venture, I guess we know almost next to nothing about any of these men. But some of them did some amazing things. And I think it's really cool to be able to have as part of, you know, developing competence is talk about our top-notch leaders in our lodges. Brother, today we're going to talk to you about this guy, right? And let's tell you, like, in my lodge, we had, a, we had, a, we, and I said, and I know I said we weren't going to talk, mention names, but this one is, this is a cool story. One of the past masters of my lodge is Don W. Wright. Now, Don Wright in 1964 was the executive director of the Edgewater Inn. Now, 1964. Why was that a big deal? Well, a, a, a group from, from 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 England came to the shores, and they were having difficulty getting a hotel in Seattle that would host them. 
Well, the Edgewater Inn was a struggling hotel. Nice hotel was on the water. Don Wright, was, who was the executive director, said, we'll host the Beatles. Now, he had some advantages. He was in the insurance business, so he could write a policy to, you know, to underwrite you know, any potential loss or theft or anything like that. But here was the cool thing. If you watch the story and read the story about what Don did to bring the Beatles to Seattle, to get them the hotel room, to get them from point A to point B, and how he maximized the revenue on that by basically, for example, taking the carpet in the in their room and cutting it into one inch squares and selling it. Okay. This is a great story of leadership. Because this is this this could have been either a spectacular failure, right? That would have been written about in business books for years, or as it came to be, an incredible success. And so let's talk about some of these incredible people who have led our lodges. And so people get an idea, okay. This is the level I need to rise to if I want to be master of this lodge. Or this guy ran the scholarship this way. That's the minimum standard I have to hit so that way our scholarship program continues to grow and be of interest to to potential applicants. Or this is how this crab feed works and this is what I need to do to continue to meet the goal of one more dollar the following year. But again, I made this comment. If we keep that info to ourselves, then we haven't developed competence. Then, then we failed because we haven't developed competence. In reality, we what we have done, we have bred incompetence. And as you know, I believe that where incompetence, you know, places a sort of hidden tax on the lodge because it just takes longer to get things done. Competence creates a dividend. We get enthusiasm. And you've heard Colin Powell say it. Enthusiasm is a, is a force multiplier. And when you get that, then you have people who want to lead, who will want to bring their strengths to the table. And with that, I think it's time for us to wrap up our discussion of, of overcoming the, the failure of leadership without competence. I think we can, I can safely sum up our entire conversation with elect a good lodge secretary, and that takes care of everything. And then uh, on, with that note, uh, on behalf of uh, Trevor and Stephen and David and myself, uh, most virtual brother Jim, uh, thanks again. By the way, and, and, and secretary of Frank S. Land Lodge. <laughs> ah, there you go. See, you're the secretary. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, I'd like to say uh, thank you most worship brother Jim for, for leading us in this uh, conversation about the series of, of uh, hurdles for lodges to overcome and we look forward to seeing you again on sometime in the future on the Working Tools Podcast if I can just make one last thought I would hope that everyone who listens to this series takes away at least one good idea to, to help in overcoming the blunders because Freemasonry is a great gift and it needs to continue. And hopefully by, by, by applying one of these, one apply, coming up with one idea, we, continue, we can continue to do so. So again, thanks a lot again. Here, here. Thanks, Jim. 
And thank you all for listening to the Working Tools Podcast. Goodbye. Bye-bye.